I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome along to this week's Rugby Tonight podcast. Uh, welcome along to the biggest rugby week so far this year. I'm Nick Mullins and I am with Benedict Kay. How are you, Ben? Very good, thank you. We are at St Albans Rugby Club um, and there are lots of noises off at the moment. The, um, the clubhouse is slowly filling up. We recorded this on Wednesday evening ahead of um, a Facebook Live session. So um, that's the noise in the background. People starting to uh, head to the bar, but we're going to have a little chat about uh, all sorts of things over the next half an hour or so. Six Nations, of course, Anglo-Welsh Cup Final next weekend on uh, BT Sport, this weekend coming. Um, and we'll rattle through one or two news lines as well from uh, from the last week, including Declan Kidney and Les Kiss to London Irish straight away, which is huge news. And uh, Well, actually, let's start, let's start with that, because by some distance, domestically, that's been the biggest story for a long time. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think it's um, you know, a, a really strong move, actually. Um, I, I like the way they've kept Nick Kennedy in there. Um, he's learnt a lot this year. He's taken a lot of pressure on his own shoulders, but having that volume of experience around him, yeah, they've got a great coaching staff at London Irish of, of young guys, but they just haven't got that volume of experience. And to have you know, a, a, a man like Declan Kidney with, with what he's achieved uh, merged, because I, I suppose the, the worry about Declan Kidney on his own is he's been out of the game so long that is he up to date with the, the current nuances of the game and, and how the laws are interpreted and, and how players actually, you know, there's a feel on the pitch, which as soon as you leave rugby is very difficult to, to stay in with. So having those younger guys around him will help him. And uh, Les Kiss, you know, the guy that is widely credited with introducing the choke tackle with Ireland. So, look, they'll obviously have a year to sort of put everything in place, you'd imagine. you imagine they'd come straight back up into the Premiership and they'll be strong, but it'll come down to players in the end and whether those guys are backed with, with the sort of players that, that can stay in the Premiership. Um, Declan Kidney and Les Kiss, um, how many years ago is it now? Nine, ten, nine years ago. Uh, this time, nine years ago, we're... Uh, preparing yeah. Ireland for a Grand Slam game, Grand Slam weekend. This weekend, we're looking forward to what might be another Ireland Grand Slam, just the third in their history. Um, we'll get on to England in a minute, and we'll analyse the Ireland game against Scotland in a little bit more detail as well. But just, just your top headline on Ireland this season. They've been by some distance the best of the bunch, haven't they? Yeah, I think when we looked at the fixtures going into the tournament, we, most pundits made them favourites because of what they'd achieved up until the Six Nations. And whereas England have um, uh, frustrated and disappointed, actually Ireland have um, 
you know, almost kicked on further and, and, and the ease with which they've scored tries when they've needed to score tries, the fact that they're dominating on, on, on bonus points and that's why they've won the championship already. I think it comes down to um, a couple of things, really. On the field, how uh, Joe Schmidt has organised them, but also the selection policy that's meant that um, they're a settled side, their confidence is high, um, they know the exact game plan they're trying to play with each other. Uh, and on the flip side, what he's done off the field, particularly in the year after a Lions tour, which we know usually the, the home nations have a bit of a, a hangover. France usually do really well in the Six Nations after a Lions tour. You know, he's man managed that very well. Now, you know, I read an article with some statistics this week saying that Owen Farrell's played well over a thousand minutes and um, Johnny Sexton's played just over six, 600. So there are other players like that as well. Tad Furlong against Dan Cole. You know, maybe that's got something to do with the fact that they've been able to manage their squad, um, peak them for the big games in Europe, the big interprovincial games in the uh, top, um, in the Pro 14. And, and they're fresh and, and hungry. And, and maybe that's you know, partly down to it, but certainly... You know, the, the aura around Ireland is growing. Uh, we'll get um, a little bit more meat on those England-Ireland bones in, in, in a while or so. Uh, and in England debrief so far, I heard you talking to Hughes after they lost at Murrayfield a couple of weeks ago, and, and you weren't panicking, you weren't pressing the panic button. Uh, are you a little bit more concerned after the performance in Paris last weekend? Of, of course you're a little bit more um, concerned. I still think there's a bit of an overreaction. If you're an international coach... It's a very different set of circumstances to uh, a club coach. So Mark McCall this year dealt with his team losing six on the bounce in the Premiership and in Europe, and they're still fighting in both those competitions. He has to deal with other problems that, you know, the injury list throughout a season, um, keeping his players up for every big game and peaking at the right time is, is much more difficult in some regards than an Eddie Jones. But Eddie Jones... You get something wrong in one week and that is going to scupper a lot of your chances because when the confidence starts to drop and, and England don't have that bulletproof nature yet um, that, that they want to be at before they go into a World Cup where you can deal with the disappointments. So I'm concerned, but I'm also can see that, you know, you don't, I think Paul O'Connell said on the TV, you don't suddenly become a poor, you know, a, a dreadful team. You might put in a couple of dreadful performances. And, you know, England were 92% going into that game, win rates over 26 games or whatever it was. So um, they've still got some credit in the bank. The problem they've got now is the pressure that they're under. It would have been a lot better for them to have lost the first two games, got a win under their belt, and then be having Ireland coming trying to win a Grand Slam. And then England would have felt, well, we can do what they did to us um, over in Dublin. I sort of feel now that England are under just as much pressure as Ireland who are going for the Grand Slam because if England lose three on the bounce, it's going to be a long, long time before their next international in the summer. But what might concern the coaches is, is that the bits and pieces we were talking about a few weeks ago after Murrayfield, we almost have to talk about again this week. The, the, the breakdown was just yeah, head-shakingly bad, wasn't yeah, it? it? It was. You don't necessarily solve those problems in a week. Um, I, what are the issues? Was, I'm glad you asked me, Nick, because, again, <laughs> people, and a lot of pundits as well, we're very simplistic in our, it's got to be one thing, and people are saying back row balance. Well, actually, 
where have, where were England giving away the penalties? Well, it was when they had the ball. So if you put a fetcher into the team, the fetcher doesn't clear out at every breakdown anymore. The seven doesn't go to every breakdown. You, everyone in the team has to be a clear out player. So I don't think the back row balance necessarily makes a huge difference to the attacking penalties that England were giving away. Now, if you look at the, the penalties England were giving away, and it's not excuses, um, but quite a few, particularly when, when Bastereau got on the ball, the tackler just stayed in there a fraction longer. Perfect. Exactly what the defensive coach uh, for, for France would have been telling them to do. And they probably would have learned from Scotland that if you do that, you've got to get a shot onto the ball. England didn't deal with that tackler. Now, you have to sort of play the referee a little bit there and you have to say, well, he's not picking this up. So what do I do? Do I deliberately sort of trip on him on the way in? Do I sort of shake it? I can't get to the breakdown ref. But the problem is if the tackler stays there, you can't get your feet into position to make an effective clear out. That's the danger of the tackler. He might not be anywhere near the ball, but if you can't, if you're put off as you're going in, and particularly Bastro so low over the ball, you're going to struggle to get that initial shot that gets that little bit of separation between him and the player on the ground. That's where I think England really struggled. The other area that, that didn't help them in that was they had the likes of George Ford going in to clear out. Now, one of the reasons that's happening is the game plan is about trying to find the edges, trying to find the corners. If you notice, England are, are trying not to die, die with the ball. They're trying to get, even when they're half caught in a tackle, they're trying to get the offload or they're trying to play behind those initial runners. Now, you're not holding any of the defenders. So if you get that offload and you haven't held any of the defenders, the people that, that are making the offload still go on the ground. So they're taken out of the game. So we're just a little bit slow to the breakdown. I think the balance of play for England has been poor in attack and they needed a few more big carriers to dent over the gain line and mix that up with the times that they try and get that extra pass in to go around the corner. Because at the moment, it just looks a little bit um, telegraphed to me. You can see what's going to happen and, and they try and get to that edge and they're getting found out there. And a game plan will never work until you test it in the heat of the battle. So that's what the important thing now for Eddie Jones is can he adapt the game plan? All right, my, my, my philosophy for Scotland and France didn't work particularly well. Can I adapt it for Ireland and for South Africa in the summer to make us a better side? Because if you do, you've learned from your mistakes and actually they're the things that are really useful. But is Eddie Jones working with players uh, who, coming from the Premiership, have been coached into thinking and refereed into thinking that the breakdown isn't I, important I as, as it ought to be? More, more down to the refereeing in, in the Premiership. Now, that's not a criticism of the Aviva Premiership referees. The Aviva Premiership referees are really good. Um, the area that they probably lead the way, in my opinion, is their game management, their ability to talk to the players so they don't have to give away loads of penalties and they don't risk them being accused of being biased because they're giving away. So you shout, you know, hands off. And so... Not as many players are going into the breakdown, which means you're getting more big players, mate. So it's more about the big tackles in midfield rather than competing. English clubs certainly found that when they went and played the likes of Munster in Europe, the likes of Leinster in Europe, that they were just not quite as good at dealing with those exchanges because the referees just let them play for a little bit longer. It's just a little bit more physical, isn't it? Maybe it's, it's only it's, half a second more the, physical, but it's a, it's a big half the, a second. The, the, the tackles... I don't think it is necessarily more physical. I think physica physicality is wrong. Eddie said that it's more physical. I don't necessarily... I think you, I think in some respects you have to be more physical to clear them out. I, I tell you that. But the guy over the ball, he's just getting into a really good position and being able to ride that contact a little bit. So, so maybe you're right. You've, you've, got to, you've got to smash them a bit harder earlier. 
but also you've got to get there a little bit earlier. Now, if you're always looking for that extra offload, that and and players aren't really being realistic decoy runners when they're look when you play behind them, they've got to be an option to get the ball and get you over the gain line. If they're not, the opposite the defenders are defensive team are going to get there before you do. And I think that's a, a big problem for, for England at the moment. Something they need to sort. Can they sort it in a week? We thought they might be able to, but they didn't manage it last week. The, the other issue uh, that struck me watching it back yesterday was ball in hand. The ball presentation at the tackle isn't making it particularly easy at the moment for England to get quick ball. And I, I know Glasgow's coaches this season are, are talking about the 60-40. And actually 60% of the breakdown with the ball in hand is how easy you make it. To, to, to recycle it for the blokes uh, coming in behind you. I mean, that's something that Richard Cockrell was always huge on. So whether the Edinburgh influence has, has come in there, but um, absolutely, you you know, the gone are the days of you uh, lying you know, horizontal to, to the try line um, and, and, and sort of par parallel to the, to the try line. Now the coaches want you to lie parallel to the touch lines with your head facing back towards your scrum half, placing the ball right back, getting that distance um, between the, the defensive line and creating a longer ruck, which gives more time for the next players because the back feet so much further back. But um, that is part of it. But it's a lot easier to do that when you're winning the collisions. And I think that's, again, where England failed. Nathan Hughes didn't really get the, the collision wins he, he would have wanted. We're, Courtney Law's very, very sad that both those guys are, are, are out injured for the rest of the season. But... You know, he's been doing it for Northampton. He did it for the Lions in the summer. He hasn't quite managed it in the Six Nations for, for England to, to dent over the game line. And perhaps that's where England have been a little bit light. Interesting to see what selection's been made um, because uh, Don Armand's obviously come into the squad. Uh, he can give you that in and around the breakdown. I almost feel Sam Simmons likes to make those collision wins a little bit further out. But can Don Armand bring his X to form in if he gets selected um, to, to, to give England a little bit of go forward? We've already said we're recording this on Wednesday evening, so we don't know what England's team is yet. It's due to be named on uh, Thursday lunchtime. Interestingly, however, having slimmed down the squad yesterday, they were due to cut a few more numbers from it today. We know, as you said, that Courtney Laws and Nathan Hughes aren't involved, but they've decided tonight not to cut the squad. Now, we don't know whether that's good news for Dylan Hartley and Elliot Daly, who are the big injury question marks, or, or bad news. But England are, are just coxing a little bit differently this week. It could be tactical. It could be that they want to do something in training where they need extra bodies. But very likely, if you have... Even if someone declares themselves, yeah, I'm 100% fit, the physios say they're 100% fit, until they actually go out and test it at match pace, which Eddie Jones is very good at doing in training, maybe that's been part of it, that maybe they've overtrained at times. But until you actually test it, you don't know whether it's going to go again. And it'd be a nightmare to have sent someone all the way back who then has to come back into the squad. The travel time, the stress of going back to your club and thinking, what am I doing this weekend? So I think they've done the right thing, particularly with it being the Anglo-Welsh and most of the teams having the weekend off. It's a bit unfair, this, because a lot of people, once they hear the answer to this question, will already know what the team is. But do you, given that we've got injuries, do you foresee many changes to the to the 15 um, the 23 that stepped out in Paris yeah some of those are forced aren't they so there are two ways of doing it make a statement with your, your team that it wasn't good enough now you guys that I've dropped have to get back in I don't think he'll do that I, I think I was all for him not making too many changes last week so that didn't really work but having said that 
do you throw a load of new guys that haven't played together much in together and expect them to be the, the most coherent team in the in the Six Nations? Or do you tell the guys that have been solving it, apart from the injured ones, as, the guys that have been in there, to go back out and, and solve the problems? Well, he's, he's got created. to replace Laws exactly. and, and Hughes. We know yeah. that. So how does, it, how does he do that, do you think? Well, your, I would, what would you do? Obviously, Haskell came off the bench. I'm not sure that I would start Haskell which would be the logical thing to, to, to promote him into the starting team. I think Armand coming in, it's an opportunity for him to use Armand and see and throw him in right at the deep end and say, because obviously Eddie in his mind has thought this guy's not an international player, but now's a really good chance. You're out of the tournament, you've got nothing to lose. I would throw him in there and uh, I think that the response you'd get from him might go a long way to solving some of your problems in this game. Um, the reason I wouldn't have Haskell, yes, he's getting on a bit. His form hasn't been brilliant this year. He did okay when he came off the bench. But I just think of, of that guy that can come on with 20 minutes to go and try and lift the team with words as much as anything else, that excitement, that enthusiasm, Haskell can do that. Whether he can do it for 60 minutes and whether Don Armand's the right sort of person to do it when he comes on, I'd definitely start with Armand in there. At number eight, I think it's whether you go which which way you play Simmons and uh, Armand. I'd have both of them in the side. Teammates help Simmons, although he's new to the team, just that familiarity between the two helps, the fact that they know what each other are going to do. And they're so used to playing in different positions that, you know, you could probably play Rob Shaw at six, Armand at seven, and Simmons at eight. Yeah. Um, is that, again, this is an unfair question because a lot of people already know the team by this point, but it, it, is there a hint in his mind that he might change the fly half and start with yeah. Farrell at ten? Oh, he could well do. Um, probably then slide T.O. in to 12. Given the threat that Ringrose is going to offer. Yeah. And we saw it last weekend against Scotland. Exactly. But equally, where have Ireland been scoring a lot of their tries? Out wide. Out wide. And that's the reason uh, that he, he didn't want T.O. in at 13 for the Scotland game because of that threat. So I think we could well see Joseph coming back into the team for that reason, to cover the wider threat with his pace. Uh, in which case he's got the opportunity to slide T.O. into 12, be a bit more of a, a, a crash ball guy that they can play off, which is you know, going against what he's always done as, as having a second playmaker at 12. But if, if you're not getting over the gain line, you know, Tio's a man that can do that for you. The bar, as you can hear, is um, getting more and more populated. Uh, Guinness is a popular drink. I've been um, doing my own little survey, and I think I, I think it's it's other, it's, it's three other oh, there stout are, type uh, beers. Well, not not at St Albans Rugby Club. No. no, it's it's three it's pints Guinness of Guinness nothing, to one pint of lager at the moment. Yeah, yeah. which may well just be a little nod ahead but to what we. Worryingly, there's a there's a bottle of black currant on the bar. That's so for us because we're athletes. Oh, I thought they were putting that into the Guinness. I don't think oh, so. Okay. No, 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 no. What's that? Is that a is that a snake bite or is that the one with cider? No, that's with cider and lager is it? <laughs> and blackcurrant. All right, excellent. I stick to Guinness. Uh, anyway, the Guinness is a, is a pathetic way of looking ahead to, 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 to what Ireland have been doing. You know, one of the things that struck me about, about Ireland, no, no, not just, uh, bear with me, there is, there is reason to this. One of the things that struck me about Ireland this season is not just clearly how well they're playing, but how well they have brought in new players over the last 12 months. That Players like Dan Levy... Um, who looks like he's been playing there for yeah, five Stockdale. years. Stockdale, Bundyaki even in, yeah. in, in midfield. They're, that, they're, they are building some squad ahead of the World Cup and they're, and, they're, and they're bringing in players that 18 months ago we wouldn't have thought would be playing right now. 
They are. Um, Gordon Darcy, I remember saying that one of the great things about Joe Schmidt is, is the way that he gets the detail right in everyone's head. So he, it's simple enough that it's very easy to digest in terms of the game plan. But equally, if you don't know it, you're out of the team. You know, he'll, he'll ask people in meetings and if you don't know exactly what you're doing. So I think that environment's probably helped them uh, massively. But these are, these are form players that have got their shot and they've been waiting for their shot. And perhaps, you know, some of those guys, we were talking about the stability of the Ireland team. And in some ways, the stability of the Welsh team, you look at how some of those back row players have come in and performed with, with, with some of the guys that, that are away injured. Yeah. And they're so desperate to get their opportunity that yeah, I worry with, with England's player pool that if you start making all the... As soon as England lose, all England fans start going, well, he's playing really well in the Premiership. Why is he not in the team? Or, and then they lose again. He's like, well, he, he's playing really well. We've almost yeah. got too big a player pool to choose from to get that continuity. The, the best thing that can happen in an international team, and a lot of coaches talk it, they, they call it Club England or Club Ireland. They want it to feel like it's a club but a little bit more special so yeah. you're all good mates you or, or, or you all got those relationships you know each other inside out you know how you're going to play with each other well uh, but, but, uh, james but, uh, james ryan and andrew porter case case in point a couple of leinster players who come in and look around them and don't see unfamiliar faces absolutely absolutely but but equally you can still you can still manage the transition of new guys coming into that system and there's a little bit less pressure on the environment you know the worst thing for a player is to be going out onto the field saying if i make any mistakes i'm going to be dropped because you're looking over your shoulder thinking don't make any mistakes and you actually never do anything the great thing about how Ireland are playing is their players are trying things they're trying the offload they're, they're trying the difficult kick and it's coming off for them because they're good highly skilled players who are playing with confidence and and they know that as a team, they, they can come out and come out on top. And they, the way they bring those players in at the right time, give them a shot, give them the opportunity to prove what they've been doing at, at provincial level and, and European level, it, it's impressive. You'd enjoy playing in that island side at the moment, though, wouldn't you? They, they all know what they're doing and, they've, and they, they, they've got more than plan A and plan B. They've got so much well, flexibility. I think halfbacks have been probably consistently the best halfbacks in Six Nations rugby for a long time now. And that, that really helps because, you know, they are the on-field leaders and coaches and they direct the game. And you know, England coming undone at the Aviva last year, Connor Murray's kicking game, Sexton's game management, it, it's hugely, hugely impressive. And Murray's think, passing as well. We saw that last weekend. Just the speed of that Murray pass buys them an extra nanosecond or yeah, two, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and I think, um, I think, I think as well, they... They, they, they do seem to have more time, but that is maybe because of some of the opportunities they've created. And maybe if there's a criticism of England, they're almost trying to force those opportunities, force those, those passes in behind all the time, rather than playing through your normal game plan. But when those opportunities arrive, having the right people to make those calls and say, no, don't truck this one up, look like you're going to, and then throw it behind to me because we're on out wide. Wales against France. Uh, Wales pitching for, for, for second place now and France suddenly with a, a spring in their step as well, although they're going to have to do it this weekend without Guillaume Garrado, who was again just a monster against England. Yeah, look, Wales will be so disappointed with, with how the game went at Twickenham. There's obviously the controversial try that wasn't, um, which they feel, feel would have turned the game towards them. 
sometimes it comes down to, to fixtures and, you know, we, it's difficult to play away from home, particularly in the Six Nations. Uh, so I'd back Wales to uh, win at home in that environment, particularly with France coming off the big, big win. I, you just wonder whether it's going to be, yeah, that was our big win. We're, we're, we'll pat ourselves on the back rather than thinking we can go and, and, and take Wales here. Uh, that, that's my worry, I think. At the moment, so little was expected of France from, from where they have been in previous years that now that motivation is going to be more difficult. But I agree that, that Wales, are, uh, uh, their confidence is right up there and I, I can only see them winning in, in Cardiff. And they could finish second, which yeah. would be just... Uh, clearly, they wanted to win the Six Nations at the start of it, but to, to finish second is, is a real building block for them. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, the, the, the performance against Scotland, um, albeit their ability to go through the gears when they had that opportunity and that, that big swing after about 10 minutes when Scotland were on top, they had a try-scoring opportunity, fluffed it, Wales went the length and scored, and then scored again. And that was Wales, back to the, the days that we've always loved with Wales. I know we've had Warren Ball in the past, but that, that, that free-flowing game. So I think that will be the thing that has pleased Welsh fans so much about this Six Nations is... The last couple of years when Warren Ball wasn't working, they were complaining a little bit and they were saying, is it time to change the coaches? We've seen a lot of the Scarlets involved and we've seen them playing a little bit more in the Scarlets fashion. They still can't play that way at international rugby the whole time, but if they can marry that with some of the Warren Gatlin's real strengths, yeah, they, they, they could easily come second. George North stays in the headlines uh, after, after Northgate, as I believe uh, we are obliged to call it. Uh, it it's kind of rumbling on because Ospreys have said this week that they're, they're very happy to offer him an, an early out from the gardens. But, wow, he played well at the weekend. He, he, he really had the bit between his teeth and, and looked a bit like the old George North. He did. Um, I, if I was George North and if I was Northampton, I think I'd be saying, well, if there's an opportunity for us to part ways now, let's do it. Because I, I can't see how that... Whether Alan Gaffney was trying to get a response out of him when he came back to, to prove things, but you know, it's, it, it's not great to, to play that out in the media. But, but equally, I, I think there is a bit of disappointment around Northampton for, for how George North has played for them compared to what he's done in Lions and Welsh shirts. Um, and, you know, I, I think... I, I, read a, I read something by Will Carling, actually, which... which really interesting saying well what do you expect of him every boy's dream is to play international rugby and you know I never I wasn't I didn't grow up wanting to play for Harlequins I grew up wanting to play for England so of course I'd reserve my best performances for England and you know around selection time I'd start playing really well for, for Harlequins I, I was staggered by that because you know your, your, your teammates and your mates are the ones that that those special you know special environment you create and the games that you go and win but, you know, perhaps George has only ever known regional Wales. He's, he's never known that sort of, you know, real love of a club because, the, 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 well, that, maybe that's wrong. Maybe he has. Maybe I'm talking out of turn. But there has been a rumblings about it's not the same as it used to be coming from Wales and the, the regional game has ruined things, for example. But then you look at Dan Bigger when, when he came on our show and talked about why he was moving to Northampton. It was because I want to play in front of big crowds every week and, and have that club environment and, and things. So different motivations for, for different people. And of course, everyone involved in rugby is different. But I, I'd hope that it's down 
to the fact that Northampton haven't found the right way to play George North rather than the fact that he's only thinking about Wales. I can't believe that's true, um, but there is a little bit of that thinking in Northampton, I think. While we're in this area, and you mentioned Will Carling and the Harlequin centres, uh, news this week, last 24 hours, that Jamie Roberts is, is leaving Quinns to, to go to Bath. Um, is that a good move for Jamie Roberts? Is that um, a good move for Bath? Ben Tapawai's coming the other I way. Th- I think then. there's been a, a little bit of that feeling with, with Harlequins as well, that they haven't seen the form inconsistency that, you know, that, that Wales have had, for example, out of Jamie Roberts. Still a really big game player. Still, at times in it, during his Harlequins play, has scored some pivotal tries, got them over the gain line. Uh, so, great guy to have around the environment. I think it would be a nod to maybe Bath's future game plan and what they think they haven't been able to compete on with the centre pairings that they've had of, of late. Um, yeah, and they've been, had lots of them, which well, has been part of, the, part of the problem, isn't yeah. it? They've had no settled, settled yeah, pairings. they have. Um, but are they, do they feel, a bit like we're talking with England and potentially playing T.O. at 12, do they feel they need someone that's going to give them that big bang in the middle that can not rock the opposition back and then they can use the likes of Joseph to play off? And, you know, it's that big runner that potentially... Joseph's one of the best in the game at that outside arc break. Now, that works the best when the defender inside gets sat down by yeah. a big runner coming towards them. They and think they losing, plant their feet. They're losing Banahan as well, which is one of the jobs that exactly. he Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, th- I think that's there. So, hopefully, it'll be a, a great move for uh, Jamie Roberts and, and a great move for Bath as well. But, yeah, I was quite surprised by it. Uh, so Wales against France is the actually the final game on Saturday. England Ireland is the is the middle match, and the first match in Rome is Italy Scotland. It's are the you, really big match. You're going to Rome. Aren't you? It must be the big match if you're going to be there. Apparently, it's the really big match. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, again, it's. I feel really sorry for Conor O'Shea. We, I've seen the pundits sort of saying, "Oh, Italy should be relegated. We should get Georgia in." Um, Which is ridiculous, and, by and the way, because Georgia will simply inherit Italy's problem. I, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, it will become about a little bit like some of those premiership teams that bounce because yeah. they're just all they're trying to do in their first year is, is consolidate their position. I, I do think Italy have improved this year. But unfortunately, so have so many of the other teams. You know, there hasn't been another weak team in, in the Six Nations. Scotland, which in times Italy have beaten, are, are right up there at the top. Wales are right up at there at the top. And England, you know, there's, there's three teams that are playing well and Italy down their own that are playing better. You obviously gave your brilliant bit of commentary where you said, gone are the days of Italy hanging in there for 60 minutes and then getting blown away at the end. <laughs> that went well. That went well. proceeded to blow them away at the end. So <laughs> I think there is a fitness issue. I think they're a lot fitter. They've got a guy called Pete Atkinson in who um, is uh, uh, head of S&C in the, the strength and conditioning. He's outstanding, and they are getting fitter, which is allowing them to play how they want to play. Connor's getting in and around the clubs, but you, uh, in and around the two franchises, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And I think that will make a difference, but it will take time, and they're not getting the shot at an easier team. If Georgia came in, if it was a, a scrum battle, they might do all right. I think they'd struggle for a few years as well. So to say that they should... Aside from the logistical problem of not knowing who's going to qualify year on year, yeah. I, I think that we should keep Italy and maybe try and find more opportunities to play Georgia. Absolutely. Fund Italy, yeah. fund Georgia, fund Romania. Yeah. Have a look at Spain, who are, who are on right. the verge of, 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 of qualifying yeah. for the World Cup. Yeah. But 
yeah, I, 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 I just don't see how. And people talk about Georgia playing well against, against Wales, pushing them all the way. It's one thing to have one big performance in an well, autumn international. It's another to have five challenges over the course of the Six one Nations. One of the things that I spoke to Mike Catt, he said, is, is the skill level isn't as good. They, they asked them to do things at first and they couldn't do it. The skill level wasn't as good. You're now getting some of those younger players that have had exposure to that coaching at a younger age who are now coming through, who are able to do some of the things they want them to do. So that's only going to improve, hopefully. Um, actually, just one thing to say, and we're all be drawing up our Six Nations team of the tournament in the next week or so. The fullback is Italian, Matteo Minozzi. He's 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 just been outstanding, and he, he scored another been. brilliant yeah, trying yeah, card. He's, been, he's been great. I think um, uh, Stuart Hogg might have something to say about it as well. Still, but. There are some good players. Negri as well Negri, has been one. outstanding. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, look, they're not a spent... F I know they've never been a force, but you know what I mean. They're, they're not a completely spent force. They're, they're, I don't think they're any worse off than they were. They haven't maybe um, accelerated at the, at the speed we, we would have wished for them. Um, for Scotland, Gregor Townsend has brought in centre Nick Grigg. Tommy Seymour's um, fit after his back injury, so he plays again. Clearly, there is one shiny bauble at the top of Scotland's Six Nations tree and that was the Calcutta Cup um, what have we made them made of them apart from that performance as I said before that that Wales performance you know they score that try and, and suddenly it's a different ball game you know yeah. the, the, the Welsh public the atmosphere was superb and, and sometimes that's a that's a really good indicator of nervousness that actually this team could do us here they will have seen what some of those Scottish players have been doing, particularly the back line in Glasgow, for, for Glasgow in the uh, Pro 14. They knew they had a no load of new guys in, and that's a really important thing. Those Scarlets lads go a couple of tries down. They're in international rugby. They're all, quite a lot of them are new to international rugby. It's a different game. And so I don't think Scotland can you know, write it off as being a huge disappointment because they only beat England. I, I think they beat England off the back of the fact that they were disappointed with what had happened the week before. Uh, Guinness is still the drink of choice at the uh, St Albans Rugby Club bar, although one or two more lager drinkers are coming in, which will make uh, Benny feel more at home. You remember a lager top man yourself, aren't you? Well, yeah. I think you, you are. You're like a Bailey's chaser. You are. You? <laughs> Nothing wrong with a Bailey's chaser. Um, let's talk a little bit about the um, Anglo-Welsh Cup final this Sunday uh, on BT Sport. King's Home uh, is the venue. BT Sport 1, half past two. Bath against Exeter. And it's an interesting competition, this, because... The longer you stay in it, the more likely you are to take it. Seriously is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. You're starting to see more and more recognisable faces in the team the longer you, you, yeah, you, you though, go on. You know, both those sides will, you'd think, provide England players and, and international players. Yeah. It's evenly matched in terms of the, how good their side. We'll see some of that talent that's got them there, but of course... The, t the, the clubs will want to win that first bit of silverware and, and it becomes a lot more important once you get to the, to the uh, semi-finals and final. I still think it's about, for me, you know, it, it, it's exciting because it is about the younger players that, you know, people like Josh Lewis who come in and play for Bath at, at Fly Half and Joe Simmons, um, who, who was actually the first of the Simmons brothers that we started to talk about a couple of years ago because of this competition. Um, and then his, then his brother came on the scene and started to win test caps. But it is interesting to see the Chiefs still playing Joe at 10. Again, we don't know what the lineups are this weekend, but well, he's, he, he's, he's really come through. He actually picked, Rob Baxter picked Joe the week before 
the Anglo-Welsh in the Premiership ahead of Steenson, and yeah. I thought that was a genius bit of coaching. Yeah, wasn't uh, was he man of the match as well? I think wasn't yeah, he? he was brilliant. It wasn't it wasn't you're my LV Cup uh, fly half. We'll give you a go in that. It's, I trust you enough. You're good enough. I'm then going to give you two more weeks in likelihood towards the end of the season. Steenson's going to be starting more times than he doesn't, but he's given this this kid a, a three-week block to get a bit of swagger about himself so that when he gets opportunities off the bench, suddenly the, the Chiefs fans won't be thinking, oh, Stino's going off. They'll be thinking, oh, here comes the young, talented kid that can, that can really get us over the line to win these games. So brilliant bit of coaching. But, yeah, that is the, the benefit of the, the Anglo-Welsh. I still don't think we've got the tier below the senior team right within terms of the premiership structure. You have, you know, some weeks you've got teams having to put out an under-18s team, an A-League team, on the Monday and then play in the Anglo-Welsh as well. You, you can't do that. Um, so we still need to get that right, but we also have been seeing the benefits of the, of, of the Anglo-Welsh Cup. And we know that the Chiefs um, love this competition. They've, they've been in the final now four years running, but for Bath, it's, it's a decade since they won a, won a trophy. So they need no extra motivation. This is, um, it's a big weekend for them, big weekend. I, I think it is. Probably there's been a little bit, bit of disappointment around the wreck, the... the, the Blackadder coming in and, and the fact that they thought this was going to be the big lift that, that they've got. They've, they've played some decent rugby, but they haven't really kicked on how everyone would have wanted. So that first trophy in the, in the, in the cabinet uh, and then let's see what they can do after that. Does that give them the confidence then to go on and qualify in the, in the top four of the premiership? BT Sport 1, half past two uh, on Sunday once the, uh, the Six Nations has been done and dusted. Um, a couple of final questions about, about the Six Nations, Benny. If Ireland aren't to make history and to, to win the Grand Slam for just the third time in their history, how do England beat them? What do you think they'll have been working on at Pennyhill Park this week that, that might give them an edge against Ireland? Well, the one thing we haven't talked about is who's been refereeing the England sessions this week, which has caused a bit of a storm. Now it's, been, now it's come out on Twitter that one of the assistant referees has been in Penny Hill working with the England team. Now, I can understand why a, a lot of people, particularly of Irish persuasion, might not be happy with that. I don't know whether Ireland have had the same opportunity um, and been offered that same opportunity. But certainly, I think what Eddie Jones will have been trying to do is say, look, we haven't been managing the referees right. We don't know why we're getting penalised around the breakdown when we think there are other opportunities. Let's get this guy in and tell him to referee as strictly as possible because there's no point the players coming off. And I, I said before, you know, you can't blame the referees for England's performance over the last couple of weeks. But one factor has been England haven't known how to deal with the games, the way the games are being refereed. So the clean element of, of this is England are just there and telling the referee, referee this as harshly as you can, and we're just going to get better because we're going to be penalised at times. We're going to be able to talk about it away from the glare of the stadium and sort things out. Before can you we go do that in. in a couple of sessions, which is effectively what they've had? You can, but... It, but it would pure. It would partly be a mindset thing, not that technical as to what we can get away with. But where do we need to be? You know, you can't be a quarter of a second late because they're getting away with this, and you know we can't whinge the referee about it. The, the, the mucky side of it, having had the clean side, would be, and this would where Irish fans would be annoyed, is you're doing it so so you're hoping to subconsciously affect the referee by him overhearing the coaching saying you know 
we want to deal with it as fairly as possible. We don't want to give away any penalties. And in the back of your mind, he's, you're a little bit less reticent to page the referee over the mic and say, this guy's, you know, the, latched onto the ball too long or, or whatever. And, and you, you know, you probably hope that they go back into the dressing room before the game and, and they go, oh, see, you were coach you were refereeing England this week and they have a little bit of a chat so that's the that's the side that the Irish fans won't be happy with but we don't know I don't know whether any of our Ireland officials any any of the officials have been with Ireland this week yeah one final question before we join the uh, St Albans boys and girls at the bar uh, a year on from England's bubble being burst in Dublin in the modern game professional game does revenge have any part to play this weekend no but not, not, not revenge, revenge, but there would be a little bit of it would be nice to spoil their party. So what, what I'm, I know that sounds like revenge, but it's more, well, it's nice for us to ha not, have the, not, not have the pressure that we were under last, and they're under all the pressure. That's what they'll have been talking about all week. But unfortunately, as I said, right at the top of this, England are under pressure because three losses on the bounce isn't acceptable. And an island grand slam. We'll see. Yeah, OK, we will. Thank you very much for listening to um, this Rugby Tonight podcast. We're back in the studio next week, so we won't have um, the chirping from the bar. It'll be um, a little bit more quieter as we reflect on this year's NatWest Six Nations, and we'll delve back into the final few chapters as well of what's already been a wild, unpredictable Aviva Premiership season. Games running out. We're motoring towards the playoffs now. So hit subscribe to get the pod. Uh, it'll um, drop into your device every Thursday morning if you've enjoyed listening and I hope you have then that five star rating would be nice uh, and a lovely review as well for particularly Ben's knitwear tonight which if you're watching Facebook live you'll know exactly what I'm talking stripes blue and white stripes nice you're, you've gone for all black the man very uh, slimming the milk the milk tray man very slimming uh, shall we have a like two, two black Labradors stuck in a <laughs> sack being thrown in the water trying to get out but it looks lovely come on let's go and have a Bailey's chaser let's go. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.